Hello, friends. This is Pastor Pierce Eaton, and you're listening to First and Foremost, a podcast where we give you teaching and tools to make Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Extras. This is part of the podcast where I unpack extra tidbits and information from my sermon preparation that I was not able to get to on Sunday. And this past Sunday was our second sermon on Bible intake. As you know, we're going through a series on rhythms and disciplines of the Christian life, and I wanted to take two weeks to talk about the intake of Scripture. And this second sermon, we looked at deeper forms of Bible intake, specifically the study of Scripture, memorization of Scripture, and meditation on Scripture. Our focal passage was Hebrews 4, 12, which says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In the sermon, I mentioned how there could be often intellectual roadblocks that keep us from fully entrusting ourselves to God's word. I know I had various intellectual roadblocks that caused me to not entrust myself to God's word when I was in college. I was a believer at the time, but there were doubts that were in the back of my mind. When I would read the Bible, there were just doubts that I had. I I wasn't sure whether I could really trust it as God's word. Uh, I didn't know how the Bible was assembled. I didn't know how it was written. I didn't know many things, and that just led me to doubt. And so I would read God's word and I would read it believing it was God's word, but there was something in the back of my mind that doubted, that thought, is this really something I can trust? And when we read God's word that way, what happens is that we end up not fully entrusting ourselves to God's word. We don't read it as authoritative. We read it as a suggestion. And that's exactly what God's word is not. It is not a suggestion. It is the authoritative word of the creator of the universe, his divine communication with his people. And so we can have unresolved questions about the Bible that can cause us to read the Bible with skepticism rather than with anticipation of hearing from the creator of the universe. And so... In the sermon, I addressed three common intellectual roadblocks, things that people just have that is uh, a doubt in the back of their mind. Now, I mentioned in the sermon that I I couldn't not get naturally, obviously because the sermon is pretty short, I cannot get to every single roadblock that someone might have, every single hurdle, intellectual hurdle that someone might come across whenever reading the Bible. Um, But I will say this. This is part of the reason why I created this podcast is to answer questions like this for you guys. So if you have other questions about the Bible that you would like for me to answer, I would love to do so. Please, like I've said before, go to our website and ask questions, fbctc.com. You can go to our website and ask me a question there. And uh, I'm not able to get to every question. Uh, We get uh, quite a few questions, but I look through the questions and I try to pick one that's going to be most helpful 
to our listeners. So in my sermon on Sunday, I spent a little bit of time addressing how the canon of Scripture was assembled. Now, a canon, as I mentioned in on Sunday's sermon, was a canon is an assembly of a you know established assembly of books that you view as um, special, unique, set apart. And so the the canon of Scripture are the a book the books that have been assembled as that we believe as Christians are the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient Word of God. The New Testament canon um, is really the the canon that people question. The Old Testament canon, well, Jesus accepted that. The Old Testament canon, as we have it today, was assembled and complete around 250 years before Jesus was born. So the Bible that Jesus read and studied and memorized and, and quoted from is our Old Testament scripture. So most people don't have questions about the Old Testament and the Old Testament canon. Most people, when they're questioning things, they question the New Testament canon. And it's understandable for for someone to question the New Testament canon because there is a lot of misinformation about how the New Testament canon was formed. As I mentioned on Sunday, there is a theory floating out there from uh, people who don't really know the history and uh, and the truth about how the New Testament canon formed. There's a theory out there about why and how it formed. The theory goes a little bit like this. So the Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor, became a Christian, and the thought from some people is that he became a Christian only in word so that he could make the official religion of the Roman Empire Christianity and control the people with it. Um, so that's that's the theory. And they theorized then that once he became a Christian, that he assembled the different church leaders from around the, the Roman Empire at the Council of Nicaea, And at the Council of Nicaea, he had them decide which books would be included into the New Testament canon so that he could specifically choose which books so he could control the people and use Christianity as a means to control the empire. Okay, so that theory is completely and utterly false. Uh, so if you just look into the, the assembly of the New Testament canon for a second, you will see that that's not true. And yet that, that theory is thrown around a lot on you, YouTube and, and TikTok and, and Facebook or whatever. And so um, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. First of all, uh, yes, Constantine did become a Christian. Um, some people say that he became a Christian only in words so he can control people through Christianity. Um, there's no real evidence to, to make that claim, but you can claim that all you want. Um, he did, he did assemble the council of Nicaea and, uh, and so that part is true, but the problem with this whole, uh, this whole idea that he did it to control Christianity is not true because they never in the council of Nicaea, they never talked about the canon of scripture ever, not once, not a little bit. Not at all. The Council of Nicaea was assembled by the Emperor Constantine to address 
a, a heresy within the church that was rising up called Arianism. And there is a leader who had a, a pretty decent following and was growing in popularity within a specific region of the Roman Empire called Arius. And he believed a heresy and was teaching a heresy. And um, and this was combating and, and or kind of going against what the rest of the church was teaching throughout the Roman Empire. And when Constantine caught word of this, he decided we need to address this. And so he assembled all the different church leaders together and said, you guys need to figure out a solution to this. And that's when they addressed Arianism. So that's the reason for the Council of Nicaea. Um, they never discussed the canon of scripture. And they never saw the need to discuss the canon of scripture. And this is really important for us to understand. So the people who claim that the canon of scripture was assembled, the canon of the New Testament was assembled hundreds of years after Jesus, um, they're just, it's not true. The reason why people claim this is because the first council of the church that assembled and discussed the New Testament books and the New Testament canon as we see it today was the Council of Hippo in AD 393. So that's about 350 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now, if that's the very first time that the that the or that the canon of scripture was ever assembled and it and they just got to pick and choose what books to include in the canon, then that would be problematic. 350 years after Jesus, that would be that I mean that would be a problem. Except for that's not what happened. See, there were many church councils that met prior to the Council of Hippo, and they never discussed the canon of Scripture because they didn't see it as that important of an issue because the canon was already established. The Council of Hippo, all they really did, in fact, the Council of Hippo didn't assemble to discuss the canon of scripture. That was just one of the line items. And their reason for discussing it was because they wanted to have an official statement where they said, these are the books that are in the canon. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. That was the whole idea because there were um, little groups within the, the church at the time that were rising up and questioning certain books. They were questioning whether certain books should be included in the canon. But up to that point, the New Testament canon was thoroughly established. All the Council of Hippo sought to do was to bring clarity within the church and uh, and make sure that everyone is practicing universally understanding what the canon of Scripture is. Now, how did the canon form? Okay, this is uh, this is why uh, this is why there can be controversy or or maybe some uh, misunderstandings from people because there's not a single moment that the New Testament canon was assembled or, or formed, and that's because the New Testament canon was uh, it gradually formed over time within the New Testament church. And when you think about how the New Testament was written, it makes sense. So the New Testament books were written 
over a course of around um, 80 years following the resurrection of Jesus. So these are books that were written some as early as within some scholars date some books of, of the New Testament to within five or six years of the resurrection of Jesus. And some books are, are dated much later. But um, all, of, all of the books of the New Testament were written within one lifetime of Jesus' resurrection. So since the books were written at various times and in different decades of the New Testament church, naturally the New Testament canon would form over time. And we can see this, for instance, in Paul's letters. All of Paul's letters were not written at the same time. They're written over the course of several years. And the way that Paul wrote his letters is he would often write a letter and it would be addressed to multiple churches, even though maybe the church he was initially writing it to was, let's say, the church in Ephesus. He would write it to that church. He would ask them to read it aloud to the whole assembly, and then that church would take parchment or scroll or whatever, and they would write down and copy down Paul's letter, and then they would take that letter to the next town, to the next assembly of believers, and let them have it, and let them read it aloud and make a copy. And this this is how the New Testament spread throughout much of the known world to the various churches. It was one document at a time over the course of a few decades being carried from community to community by believers who said, hey, this is a letter from the Apostle Peter, and it was originally taken to this place, and we got it from this place, and this is the Word of God treated as so. So that's how the New Testament canon, naturally, it formed uh, that way. And, and slowly over the course of, like I said, around uh, 50 to 80 years following Jesus' resurrection. Now, um, there were some questions whenever the New Testament church was considering whether a writing was simply beneficial or was authoritative. And what I mean by that is there were plenty of other letters written from one Christian to another Christian during that time. There were plenty of different local uh, local leaders, local elders and pastors of congregations in, in different communities around the known world at the time who would write something or communicate sermons. Uh, th- this happened, and when it happened, though their writings were not considered authoritative. They were not considered the Word of God. The only writings who, who were that way were the apostles' writings. That's you know, Peter and James and John and Jude and uh, the Apostle Paul. So these are these are people who were either one of the 12 disciples or were appointed as apostles by Jesus himself. We have James, the brother of Jesus, and we have the Apostle Paul who met Jesus, the resurrected Christ, on the road to Damascus. And, and Jesus himself makes Paul an apostle. And so, when we see uh, we see the apostles. Their their teaching carries weight, carries authority. It is uh, the authority of the word of God, and so their writings uh, are authoritative in that way. And so, when an apostle wrote something, uh, whether it was a book or a letter or whatever it might have been, you know, when an apostle wrote it, it was it was received as God's word. 
Now, there are a few books in the New Testament that were not written by apostles. For instance, we have Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. We have Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and also the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, um, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so um, those are examples of books that were not written by an apostle. And so Mark and Luke, though, just to bring clarity, they were they were more or less disciples to the apostles. And what I mean by that is that they did ministry alongside the apostles. Mark was a companion and minister alongside Peter. And Luke was a companion of Paul in his ministry. And so uh, we can see that there. And so whenever we whenever the early church was considering what what documents to see as authoritative, they asked the question, is it from an apostle? And if it's not from an apostle, is it from one of the disciples of the apostles? Now, if it's from one of the disciples of the apostles, that doesn't mean it's automatically included as uh, and seen as part of the canon. Uh, what that meant is then it would go to the next level of questioning. So the next question was, does it have widespread acceptance within the early church? So you have to remember, the early church had the apostles in the early church. They were there. They were a part of it. They were leading the early church. And these writings happened during the lifetime of the apostles. So, for instance, the apostle Paul, in one of his writings, quotes from the Gospel of Luke and calls it Scripture. So Paul was familiar with Luke's writing writings and saw his writings as scripture. And so we see an, an endorsement from the apostle Paul of Luke's writings. We also see the same thing happen from the apostle Peter to Paul's writings. The apostle Peter in 2 Peter states that uh, Paul's writings are seen as scripture. And so knowing this, seeing that there's some corroboration between the New Testament and seeing that the apostles were a part of the New Testament church, and were familiar with the various writings that were apart and taught in the New Testament church, they gave approval to certain books. And so whenever later on there was questions about whether some, some books should be included in the canon of Scripture, they simply asked the question of, well, was it accepted as Scripture and taught within the local church all the way at the beginning when the apostles were a part of the church? And if the answer to that was yes, then there you go. You have your answer because the apostles viewed that writing as the word of God. The other and last question are the, uh, the kind of the third question they would ask. And this was just a, another verification that what they're receiving is God's word is they would ask the question of now, does this writing, does this teaching align with the apostolic tradition, what we already know was taught from the apostles and what we already know to be true from the Old Testament. So if anything written in this document, if anything in this book is uh, contradicts or, or is misleading in from what we already know to be true in, you know, doctrinal orthodoxy that we received from the apostles, if it contradicts any of that, then we throw it out because the word of God does not contradict itself. God will not contradict himself. And so 
if it contradicts what we already know to be the authoritative word of God, then it must not be the authoritative word of God that we're reading. It must be something else. It must be a work of man because God does not contradict himself. Well, I hope this helps. I hope that this brings some clarity on how the New Testament canon formed. Of course, there is much more to be said. There have been volumes and volumes and volumes written on the New Testament canon and how it was assembled and and the history behind all of it and the church councils and all of that. There, There's a bevy of information out there if you so desire. And if this is something you're interested in, please reach out to me and I can point you in the direction of certain authors and certain books that would give you more clarity on the matter. But the big thing in all of this is that I want you, when you read the Bible, to know that you are reading God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word. That is what you are reading. You don't have to be skeptical. You can let go of the doubt that's lingering in the back of your mind. This is God's word. He is communicating to his people. He's communicating to you the God of the universe communicating to you through his word. My prayer is that you grow ever more in love with God's word, that you see God's word for what it is, that it is truly inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient. Well, thank you for listening this week. If you have questions, like I said, please go to fbctc.com. You can ask your questions there. I'll see you back again on Friday where I answer questions that you guys have asked. Thank you. God bless.